0: Jacob, I look over and I see you on the video and I see that you're sporting a new hat. Mm. Tell me a little bit about that new hat. Mm.
1: Well, (laughs) Choa, for those of you living under a rock, we have... A rock. I don't think that's a good way to start, Jacob. Uh, We
0: have have champions
1: in our state and they are Mm -hmm. the Texas Rangers. They're going to go all the way. Last night, they were kicking butt. They got down, and then they came back and then won with a home run. You can't start a World Series off better than winning a game with a home run. You really can't. I mean, maybe a Grand Slam, right? That would be, like, the only other thing that would top it. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a sports guy at all. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it all. I, I'm a very mild sports man. I don't sport. I the only sport that I do um, is the sport of baseball. And outside of that, I only do it in because I kind of my I, I understand it and I like it, but I just don't watch it enough. What was your question? Oh, okay. So, like, football, for instance, like, the only reason I know anything about football is to talk trash to other football fans. (laughs) Okay. Basketball, don't even pretend. Like, at all. Like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even. See,
0: I can do basketball. I can
1: barely. I can just barely do it. But, see, baseball, softball, those things, it's it's all, like, the strategy of it. Is interesting um, I understand kind of the Everything beyond that we shared My story about me hitting a Home run right I believe we share that On the podcast probably do I share everything on the Show um, and so It's stuff that I do like and so when we get to Celebrate a home team right the Rangers have had you know, they've always been Decent but they've struggled for A good while mm-hmm. we haven't made it to the world Series since the 2011 I Think was the last time we were there and So mm-hmm. I'm sporting a nice World Series Texas Ranger hat. I usually have my black Rangers. I well, know that's funny.
0: I knew you had a different hat.
1: Yeah, and what's funny though, Rangers aren't even my favorite team. Uh, the Boston oh. Red Sox are my favorite team. Now, why are they your favorite uh, team? I just, I, someone asked me this the other day. It's, I don't know. I think it's because I played on the Red Sox as a kid, and so I just kind of uh-huh. became invested. But I also just, I like the program. I like the fact that they're kind of the the underdog of the old teams. You know, the the, the Red Sox-Yankee mm-hmm. rivalry has always been really interesting to me. It's like if you're, you know, you can't like the Yankees as a Texan. So it has to, you got to like the, you know the the Red Sox. I like their their ball club. I like a lot of the players that have come through there, um, uh, like David Ortiz. You know, Big Poppy, one of my favorite home run hitters in the last uh, little bit. He doesn't play anymore. Obviously, he retired. But um, people like that. But anyway, it's nice to see the Rangers going. Fun fact: Every single time I've seen the Rangers play in person, they lose.
0: So you're not going to the World so, Series, so I should just stay far away from Arlington. <laughs> I think um, so. You're not allowed to step foot until this is over. <laughs>
1: correct. I'm just going to stay away. It's going to be fine. But anyway, yeah. So for those uh, baseball fans out there, hopefully you're watching the World Series. Another uh, game tonight, second game. Let's see if we can win again.
0: Well, I have a little Rangers fun fact. Hmm. I uh, happen to have gone to Nolan Ryan's 7th no-hitter. So I have a picture of him pitching oh, wow. one of his no hitter. Like I took a picture from my camera. I have it on my phone. So, so that's another yeah, that's thing. My little fun fact.
1: Down here in the state of Texas, I'm, I'm sure it's elsewhere, probably. But Nolan Ryan beef—that's that's common pretty much every in every grocery store here, especially yeah. Kroger. Yeah. I don't know if they have Krogers everywhere. I don't think they do, right? Kroger is a no. They a, don't have it it's a southern thing, right?
0: It could be. I don't know.
1: It's not every. Not sure. For
0: sure. Well, I know that when I went to visit, when I went to the east to visit some family, uh, food lion was real big. Do you
1: do you remember Winn Dixie?
0: Oh yeah, of course I remember Winn Dixie.
1: Here's a, what the a one. Name. Do you
0: remember Piggly Wiggly? <laughs>
1: I've only <laughs> I have only I've I've heard it mentioned in the ethers of uh conversations, but I've i have never seen one with my eyes.
0: Yeah, and then there there used to be a there's still some piggly wigglies around in like in the panhandle and stuff, uh of Texas. So yeah, When Dixie, of course, you know. Kate DiCamillo Camilla wrote that book. Yeah, About Winn Dixie. Uh so there's still some Winn Dixies. I um also, we used to shop at a Safeway, so it's been interesting, all the different food chains that have gone gone by the wayside or have shown up. Foodline tried to make it here, but they didn't make it. I think Kroger was too big for them. So mm-hmm. now I think we, we're getting some HEBs in the area for all of those local people. That's a Texas chain, Yeah. HEB, but that's usually down towards the Austin area. Yeah. We're getting a few in the area. Right, there you go. There's our food. So we went from we went from baseball to. Old, old
1: yeah I who knows I, I don't know this
0: is the crap the podcast swear. ladies and <laughs>
1: gentlemen <laughs> 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 that's ochoa bambo job jacob chastain we are two educators down in the state of texas do what we love talking about reading my workshop and so much more under the sun still experimenting with the shorter time frames of the show seeing if it works for you guys seeing if it doesn't this one actually helps ochoa a little bit because her voice is a little gone so we're gonna have a shorter topic today uh, that will hopefully satisfy you guys. We're going to be running through talking about um, how to talk to kids about writing, interestingly enough. So how to even phrase things, how to invite them into the conversation about writing i think it's gonna be interesting but i want to tell you before we get to that, that this episode and the podcast is sponsored by you all the people who come every single month and support us you guys support us on patreon you help us out with a few dollars thrown our way that allows us to keep the lights on to keep doing wonderful things to keep planning wonderful things doing bonus episodes and so much more and you can join this wonderful group of people just like Natalie, Matt, Mark, Leah, Jen, Hannah, Carol, Amy, Alicia, Tracy, Susan, Sarah, Rebecca, Melissa, Lori, Lori, two Lorries, uh, Donna, Destiny, Courtney, Brandy, Andrea, and Amanda all have And you can get bonus content, access to craft and draft, demo videos, everything else, pretty much everything that was posted. So once you join, you get all the bonus content. So if you're like, man, I just really need more craft and draft, it's just not coming out. They're not releasing an episode every single day. Well, guess what? Join us on Patreon. You get all those bonus episodes, bonus videos, and so much more. But without further ado, let's jump to a conversation. All right, Ochoa, talking about writing with kids. Here's where this topic came from. As most topics do on this show, comes from our lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Something happened this week and it made me think of this and how interesting and important it is uh, to, to think about this, which is, so I was uh, doing one of our appraisals for one of our amazing educators um, and she was talking about how she feels super confident in teaching reading and doing all that. But when it comes to writing, she was, she just feels less confident. Funny thing is she's great at it for someone who hasn't been teaching very long. She's, she's one of those just naturals. Um, and what, one of the things she was doing, which I thought was really cool is she had Stephen King's on writing that they were reading as a class. Now they're not reading every piece of the book, but they're reading good chunks, like just some really strong excerpts and chapters and whatnot of, uh, of the book. And for those of you who have never read it, Ochoa, have you read Stephen King's On Writing?
0: No, I haven't, but you've told me all about it. I need to.
1: It's I need it's to one of my favorite books of all time. It's mm-hmm. where I got a lot of my writing philosophy from. It was like the first book as a young, like older writer. So like I was already graduated high school by the time I read it. But once I did write it, it really unlocked pieces for me as an aspiring writer. Uh that just kind of freed me some of the old, like of the conventional myths, right, of writing that, you know, it's the struggle artist and you got to wait for your muse. And Stephen King basically says, nah, that's crap. He's like, your muse is great. And when inspiration hits, that's amazing. But you really just got to put words on the page. And the only way you keep putting words on the page is to read a lot and write a lot. Those are the two things that help you the most. And it just gave me a really interesting language for how to talk about Writing and how to, um, how to even comprehend just putting one foot in front of the other word, one word in front of the other, one word after the other to get enough words on a page and then two pages and then before you know you have a whole book. And I thought it was cool that she was bringing this book out to have kids as they started, as they're starting to explore their own writing, have this conversation about what is writing and kind of naturally she did. Read like a reader, read like a writer, um, which is something that we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, which is she had them read this excerpt from on writing. They talked about it, talked about what he was saying, talked about what's the writing advice that he was really putting out there. And then they read a short story and then they read it. They discussed it as a class or they discussed it in partners and whatnot about like what the story was, what was the plot, et cetera, et cetera. Then they talked about the craft of it. And I was like, man, just she did so many things naturally. She talked about she listened to an author talk about what writing is, one of the most prolific and successful authors of all time, talking about how he thinks about writing and how you get better at writing. Had kids discuss and reflect on that. Then they read. Then they talked about it as a reader. And said, what did you get from it? And he talks about as a writer, say, OK, so what's something in here that you liked? Then the next day they were going to apply all of that. And I was like, man, what a what an undervalued like scenario. Right. Just this idea of getting kids to even talk about their writing in a certain way um, and to talk about writing in a certain way, because in schools, I feel like writing is so often Uh, Talked about as if it's just a task, a a means to an end, right? You don't ever just talk about writing like the just the nuances, like the texture of writing. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Like the, the actual just talking about it. It's it's something that's it's one of those things that I consider hidden curriculum of a writing teacher. Cause it's not a standard to understand really what I'm talking about here. It's not, it's not a, something that you can really measure well. So it's not really data driven necessarily, but I would argue it's super important. Almost. I would say it's as important as talking about reader identity.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is when, when you can understand why you do something like as a writer like when you're why did you put that word there why did you use that word and not this word i mean when you can get kids to start thinking about their writing in the sense of why am i putting these things down but i think before you can do that though you just gotta like you said you start with just getting something on the page because once you get it on the page then you can start rearranging and working with it um I've done something similar, but it was actually with Dr. Seuss. Have you ever seen the book, A uh, uh, Diff and for Day? I don't think yay. so. I think it's "Yeah, to Diff and for Day or whatever, but it's a it's a picture book. And you know me, I do a lot with picture books. But the thing about this particular book, Jack Prelutsky and another writer, I can't think of his name right now, but they took the last, before Dr. Seuss, before he actually passed away, Uh, he was working on this book and the book was all about testing and how to overcome the test day you know the the anxieties of testing and he felt like that was a big deal with the kids and he wanted to do a book about that but he didn't finish it so they tasked Jack Perluski and his colleague and right now I don't I'd have to go look for the book but um But anyway, they tasked them with finishing his final book and they put their little spin on it. And you can, it's a great book to look at style because you can look at how their style, even though they're finishing Dr. Seuss's book, right. You can see their flair in it. You can see the flair in the, uh, you know, in the way things are drawn out and stuff like that, but they keep his rhythm. They keep Dr. Seuss's rhythm. And so they, they still use his style, but you can see that their style is a part of it. But at the end of the book, they take the they take all the pages that they were working with with Dr. Seuss, and they show Dr. Seuss's work that, that they had to work from. Like, this is what we had to go by. And what's really cool about it is you can see how Dr. Seuss started with this word, and then he erased it. And then he had a list of all these different words that could fit like he would circle a, a space and then you have all these words. What could I call it? Different day, diff and do, you know, in other words, so he would, he would have like all these layers of of uh thinking on the page so some of his writing was actually list and some of his writing was actually drawing first and then trying to figure out what he wants to say in those drawings so you go through and you can see him mark things out circle things star it uh you can see where he he writes in black and he turns around and writes his revisions in red and so i when i had sixth graders i used this with sixth grade and so i had um had a document camera and so underneath that document camera i put up these pictures and we talked about dr seuss's process and then i asked them to think about their process so they had to go back into one of their pieces and they looked back over and in our case it would you know at this time is before we did the crafting draft but you could you could have them go back through their their draft book and see Pick a piece. Look at all the work that you did. Where did you learn that? Why did you do this? Are you going to make some changes? If so, where are those changes? And on the left side, they can be actually thinking about it and writing their thinking on, on the left side of their draft book about this piece that they're working with. But the whole thing is, is it was really neat to watch the kids go back into their writing from and, and model after this you know what i mean and so it was neat and so it was a, it was a great way to enter so it reminded when you started telling me about stephen king and your teacher's story it started making me think about when when i did something like that but it was with dr seuss and using a picture book um but it was really neat to talk if you can get the kids to talk about the writers that they like to read you know like they like to read their stuff like kate dicamillo And you know, when i had the when i had your students that time and they were reading um Ulysses um anyway we talked about that and we actually I found some interviews where Kate DiCamillo uh talked about where she got the idea from and the whole idea of the vacuum cleaner at the beginning uh, she talked about how that was from her mom and it was this vacuum cleaner that sat in the corner but she got it from her mom after her mom passed away and so she talked about like she used that that was sitting in her garage as a way to get inner into the story. So it's just kind of a neat a neat thing and so in the kid, so so then you ask and she talks about how she also used cartoonish type uh you know because she wrote like in comic strip style and then turned around and also wrote in prose. So why did she do that? So it's neat to get the kids to you know and if you can hear the author talk about their process and then you talk about the author's process then you ask them to think about their own process it's really kind of neat it's very powerful
1: I I think that is I don't know I think it has to come first and always (laughs) where you just get kids to really think about writing in terms of just like asking like why does this work Why is this sentence effective? And I think that this is where like my love for poetry came in because it's something that is so attainable by a lot of kids. And I think that sometimes we gravitate in schools to very traditional style poetry for whatever reason, which is fine. But the, one of the key things for me was using slam poems because it was something that it's performed and you get a lot of out of those performances. You get a lot out of what they're doing and kids can have a reaction. Even if they don't, don't understand every line, every phrase, every piece of figurative language that's in something, they can talk about why something makes them feel a certain way. And they can start talking, having that language, because I feel like mm-hmm. in writing classes or in classes where kids are just assigned to write, it's like, tell me about that. Okay. And it's like, okay, so pick a topic and now write about that topic. It's like, okay, but what does it feel like? What what should an article about um, an ongoing war feel like? What should the tone of the article be? What should a book review about a book that has dark themes feel like? What should... Um, a piece about uh, a funny time in your life feel like, I think that is the interesting stuff to talk about rather than tell me what happened. Right. And then it's like, tell me what happened, but you have to use four examples of figurative language. It's like, okay, but why, what is the purpose? What is it? Why four? Why not three? Why not seven? Why do you have Mm -hmm. any at all? And I, I think that is, those are so like, those conversations are really interesting Um, they're hard to have because you have to create a culture in your classroom around writing to have these conversations. Yeah. You have to have a culture of, we are writers and this is what we talk about. Cause we do talk about the important stuff. We talk about the things that are in our standards and we talk about the things that are measurable, but also just talk about like, man, like this, for some reason, this intro paragraph is just not working. That doesn't always boil down to a rubric, to a standard, to something that you can directly point to. Sometimes the words just aren't effective. They're just not written in a way that is compelling. And that is not an exact science. And I think this is where, uh, I think this is where talking about writing as writers helps kids more, because I think we put a lot of weird pressure on kids, um, to write in a way that's just not really attainable And, and to write in a way that makes them feel like writing is so systematic, right? If writing was systematic, like people give, like, I'll give a really clear example, like writers like Nora Roberts and James Patterson and all of them, right? They have a bajillion novels, um, they're like, oh, it's so formulaic, and to a, to a degree, it is. But if it was so, if it was as simple as being a formula, everyone would be James Patterson. Every mm-hmm. author would sell like that, and they just simply don't. Every author would be Stephen King, and they're not. Every author, if 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 Jake, if uh, the success of Harry Potter could be easily re- replicated just by doing similar things then it would have already happened. But there's only one Harry Potter. JK Rowling can't even match herself in that regard. Right. And so I think that conversation is really interesting to have with kids because it's, it almost like gives them like a, like permission to suck a little bit, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. like, like this, this is how it's going to be. Like writing is like this. There's, the only way to stumble upon great writing and to hone great writing is to read a lot and write a lot, but you have to write so much that the good stuff comes out and that you find the good stuff. I have written things that I thought were useless that became huge on social media. And I've written things that I thought were amazing that no one cared about. And so it ultimately doesn't come down to any, Feeling or exact science, it comes down to like this time and just talking about like that's what it is as a writer. Sometimes you write and you hate it, and it's something great. Sometimes you hate it, and you have a good reason to hate it. But mm-hmm. that's not in a standard. That's not something you can measure. That's something writers talk about. And I think that's a, I think that's pretty important.
0: Oh yeah, and you know when you can, when you can get kids to do that. I mean, I think you've, you know, I, I just I've had a few times. I mean, it's not like every time I teach, you know what I'm saying? I mean, in other words, it's not every year. I mean, because your kids are different, they come with you with different things. But a lot of times it it takes a, a minute, if you will, to create that culture that you're talking about. And so you have to put some things in place. And I think right now, honestly, I think a lot of teachers are struggling with, especially in Texas, and I'm sure it's like this elsewhere. But with all these new reading, the science of reading standards and all of these things that they're having to do, especially in the elementary level, that they can't find time to create that culture. In other words, it's I think it's getting to be, I think it's becoming more difficult to create that culture of writing that you're talking about. Um, and I think that's why now more than ever, you and I, if you will, and other platforms like ours needs to really try to help people figure out a way to weave all of this together so that they can create that culture. Because I think some of the stuff that, that what we're talking about when they talk about their writing, I think it really starts with the writing. I mean, it starts with the reading and the writing. I mean, you can't, you can't separate them. You really can't. And I know we've tried all these years, but you really can't. And so, like you said, and like Stephen King said at the beginning, the best way to become a writer is to read a lot and to write a lot. And where is he getting his ideas for how to formulate language from other authors? We model first, right? We, 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 I mean, we, we acquire language by listening to others, right? As children, I just got finished spending a part of my morning today with, my grandchildren and they're they're anywhere from five years old to to 11 months old and they're all learning language and um anyway it was funny because my little grandson at five he goes they threw something and it went around and hit the walls and my grandson goes oh that ricocheted well where did he learn the word ricocheted well that's because he's either you know they read a lot about Different things. And yeah. I know my my daughter-in-law reads a lot to him about science. And uh, but somehow he's used that word. But I thought it was a pretty high-level word. Well, so now let's say he's got that word. I don't think he sat here and learned phonics all about ricochet, right? But now what you do is you take advantage of that and you have him write about that. Write about things that ricochet, you know, and then he uses that, he'll always remember it. So I just think that we learn by listening to others we learn by reading and then we got to figure out a way to incorporate that in our classroom and then create this culture of writing so that we can all be literary and I think I think when you get the kids to be thinking about themselves as writers and as readers and I think that's what you did with your kids uh, especially the ones that helped you write that book they were readers and writers they I talked to them you know I interviewed them right and They thought of themselves as writers. They didn't think of themselves as anything else. I mean, they might want to be doing something else in their life, but they already thought of themselves, no matter what, I'm a writer. You know, and so I think if we can get our kids that, but it takes a minute. It takes some time to develop that. And I think it's, I think teachers are under the pressure right now to not develop that because of all the other things they think they have to do first. And I think, honestly, we got to figure out a way to read and write authentically, you know, buzzword, but to read and write where it comes out naturally for the students. And then we work that other stuff in and I don't know. But anyway, that's something that, that I've noticed. Yeah. My cat I is, mean... Can you hear my cat? Yeah. Well cats I I decided to climb on the wall.
1: <laughs> your I th- I think the my last thing to say on this piece is the you know, when I think about those kids that I worked with for you know basically three years and how much of writers they became is they knew when they had a class that wasn't that, they knew the difference. They were like, We're not Writing, they were like, "Oh, we, we." I was like, "What do you mean you're not writing?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, we're writing papers and we're writing this, but we're not writing." And I thought that was such an interesting thing that I've always kind of measured is, you know, there's school is school. We 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 say this all the time on the podcast, right? There's we have a dream world that we love to talk about, but there's also there's just things you got to get done. You're never gonna yeah. get the school pieces completely out, which is fine. But we have a lot more flexibility if you know how to do it. And I think that if you, I think it's one of those things like you can't push off the time to build the writing culture, right? Right. It's the same thing in reading. It's like you, you can't try to get kids to develop reading lives and not develop a culture of reading in your classroom. Mm -hmm. You have to build that capacity in there. And it's like, we're writers. We constantly, what do writers do, right? Writers find words that interest them and jot them down and they may never see them again, or they may think of it later, or they may use it. They may not. They see phrases like, oh, that's a really interesting phrase. They go down weird rabbit holes. They, Mm -hmm. they ramble in their writing. They cut and paste. They, uh, cut and paste, meaning like they, they move stuff around in their writing. They, they use quotes, they, they write for themselves first. And so they can figure out what they're going to say. And then they go back. Some writers need to outline. Some writers don't need to outline at all. Some writers need to kind of storyboard their thoughts. And some writers just want to fly by the seat of their pants. And it's like this whole idea. I find that I can tell the, the, the teachers who write themselves are often, not always, but often the best writing teachers because they understand just what the process feels like. And I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, and you can tell the teachers that kind of lean towards reading. I will say that I have, <laughs> I have had the experience of being around a, a teacher who was a writer herself and couldn't teach it at all because she couldn't see how anyone else could do it a different way. And so right. that that can be an issue too, but that's, that's the issue with anything is when you just can't see beyond your own blinders as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think that – I think this is one – it's a hidden piece of curriculum that the writing culture, what does it mean to be a writer? What do writers do in this space? How are you as the teacher going to create a writing culture in every lesson, in, in, the, in your walls, right? One of the things that I did to do that was – I made it such a big deal for kids to make the wall and we built that. And they were like, after all kids like, is this a wall piece? Is this a wall piece? Is this a wall piece? And then every mm-hmm. at the end of every six weeks, they would run up there and like, oh my God, there's new pieces. What's up there? And it was this, this like badge of honor slash interest. And they, they would use them like, oh, I want to write a piece like that. I didn't know I could say stuff like that. Or I didn't know I could write ideas like that. And so small things that it's like, why would you want to? To go back to reading for a second, you can't have reading culture in your class if there's no books, if there's no book talks, if there's no book reviews, if there's no trips to the library, if there's no categorization method of your library. Like there's there's so many things that you can do that raise that, but we don't really ever talk about the writing side. So I hope if anyone gets anything from this specific episode, it's sit back and go, how are you creating a writing culture? in your space, regardless of the age group that you're teaching, what's something that you can do tomorrow, next week, next month, next semester to increase what that looks like in your classroom. And I guarantee you, you're going to get kids more engaged in their writing.
0: Well, do you mind if I add more or did you add want to more. end Go there? Ahead. No good. Well, while I was sitting here, I looked up, I looked up the standards. I did. Cause you're, you were talking about how it's a hidden curriculum, but I get to the writing standards And I'm just going to say this, the students and the students uses critical inquiry to analyze the author's choices and how they influence and communicate meaning within a variety of texts. They analyze and apply author's craft purposefully in order to develop their own products. Is that not what we're talking about? That is in yeah. the standards. That's a fifth grade standard. That's fifth grade. Mm-hmm. That's where I went and found that. And it and it goes on and describes what they expect you to do, like with text structure and all that. But that that whole purpose, that that beginning of it, is creating that culture. So I think that we have to do it. I mean, especially in according to our Texas standards. Um, so it's in there. But it, it, you're right. It's that we got to figure out how to do it. I like that you, and I I watched your kids and I watched your wall grow throughout the whole year, which is really cool. I never did quite master that that well, but what I do to get the kids to start, start thinking, you know, I do this and that is have the kids, I have moments throughout the process where the kids share with each other and they actually discuss their writing with each other and they find things that work. They find um, evidences of you know the different things we're working on and then they always uh, give feedback and I always have them start nothing negative allowed but it needs to be constructive and we talk about const- what that means so we start off pointing out what works and then as everybody gets more comfortable then we start talking about why did you do that you know and we start having actual communities if you will of writers and uh, same thing with reading we discuss our reading in the same way so um, but anyway that that i just wanted to say that there's multiple ways to get there but you're right i think we have to develop the writing culture like you said we have to develop the reading culture and then once we've done that now we can re-enter because like you said readers literary people analyze they analyze words they use them they figure out how to use them in a new way They uh, look at all the context within those words and uh, try to write clearly and speak clearly so they can communicate, etc., etc., express themselves and all of those other things. So I don't know.
1: And that is it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. That's Paywoncho. I'm Jacob Chestane. Come back next week for another fantastic episode. We're probably gonna continue this, jumping into the how to do this on the reading side. Is that we we spoke about a little bit on this one, but add a little bit more next week, dive into some structures and whatnot. Hopefully, this episode was important to you. If it was, subscribe to the podcast you don't miss any other episode. Leave a review if you have not already, and join us on Patreon. Get us all of our bonus content, bonus training videos, and so much more. And direct access to us. I think we're about due for another QA episode. So we're gonna be uh, posting a there in the patreon very soon but join us over there tons of content that you get access to just by supporting us so that means the world if you can't subscribe come back next week for another fantastic episode that's pamela i'm jacob chastain and know that we are here for you